on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on a sunny, beautiful Thursday, April 20th, 2023, here in Auburn Opelika. This is On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins. He's Carter Bird, and we are joined by Lindsey Crosby in studio for our number one here in the studio. Gentlemen, hope you're doing well. Lindsey, it's good to have you back in the studio talking baseball, man. It is always good to be here, and it's always good to talk baseball. It's always good to talk baseball with a beautiful day. I mean, the weather's just been fantastic for uh, college baseball, high school baseball that's coming down the stretch. Uh, I will be here for uh, the first 30 minutes of today's show. I've got the final regular season games for Lee Scott Baseball today over at home versus Calvary, a team out of Georgia, a pretty good team out of Georgia, who beat Lee Scott earlier in the year. They beat Macon East. They beat Glenwood. Uh, So a really good team out of Georgia as the Warriors try to get ready for the playoffs that start uh, coming up next week. All of that on AU100, AU100FM.com and the AU100 app. That's 100.3 on your radio dial here in Auburn. So uh, first pitch will be at 3.30. We'll go on the air about 3.15 so you can join me over there for that. So I'll be here for the first 30 minutes. Carter and Lindsay will have you for the rest of the first hour. Chris Gordy, host of the Locked on SEC podcast, will join Carter coming up in hour number two. And uh, Carter, you and Chris may have a few things to talk about this afternoon. Yeah, I think that uh, he had a, a, a current Auburn quarterback on his show. I don't know why you why the third string quarterback uh, of an SEC school is getting his prime time interview on a on a show like that. But uh, TJ Finley had some had some statements. He had some. Yeah, statements. he did. He I had some thoughts. statements. He, he had, had a questions. he had a social media post that was very questionable. I mean, just a lot of things going on. And so you will have the opportunity uh, to talk to Chris Gordy, host of Locked on SEC. TJ Finley fatigue is at an all-time high right now for me. Yeah, it's just... I just don't get it, man. I really don't. I don't get it. But you will talk to Chris about that coming up in hour number two. Do you know who's not tired of TJ Finley? TJ Finley. Opposing defensive backs? (laughs) I think both of those statements are true. Yeah. Pass rushers? Yeah. Not tired of TJ Finley? Yeah. Secondaries? Opposing... Davis coordinators, Brian Harson. Yeah, the list goes on and on. <laughs> the list goes on and on uh, about that. But yes, Chris Gordy, host of the Locked On SEC podcast, will join Carter at three thirty coming up in hour number two. But with Lindsey Crosby in the studio, there's one thing and one thing only to talk about, and that is baseball. We will start like we always do in the professional world, talking about the Braves and the news around Major League Baseball. There's a lot to get to, and then once I dip out of the studio and go call Lee Scott baseball, these two gentlemen will talk about Auburn baseball as they get the midweek win that they needed oh so badly as they prepare for Mississippi State coming to town this weekend over at Plainsman Park so these guys will talk about that coming up in about 30 minutes but phone lines are open if you have some baseball questions for us uh, more importantly for Lindsay who knows much more about it than we do you can call in phone lines are open 334-321-1390 that number again 334-321-1390 and 
let's go ahead and talk about this Atlanta Braves team who, Lindsay, they're the best team in baseball right now, and I don't think you can argue that. There will be people who will say Tampa Bay is better simply because of the record, simply because of the offensive production Tampa Bay's been able to get, but Atlanta has multiple players in the top of the leaderboards for just about every statistic on offense. I mean, whether it's uh, OPS, it's total bases, just about anything you can think of, Atlanta's got guys up there. And to me, they've done it against a tougher schedule. They didn't get to, you know, oh, absolutely. To, to play the Red Sox and the Tigers okay. and Oakland okay. and all of that. You, you can leave the Red Sox out of that list. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, they, they were undefeated for, what, 13 games? And it was all Red Sox, A's, Nationals, and, and Tigers. Like, the literal worst team now, in baseball. Now, Atlanta did get to play the Nationals and the Royals both. But, like, still... It's, it's, I know, I'm just finding a reason to stick the knife. He's only yeah, here for twisted a you little have to get bit two hours of jabs into 30 minutes of, of show. <sighs> but the yeah, Red no. Sox are close to 500, okay? They're right there. They're right there. That's all I'm saying. But, yes, the Braves have had... Hang the banner. Maybe I will. <laughs> Maybe I will. We're but you're not, talking about... I'm not here to talk baseball. I'm uh, sorry. I'm, I'm here to talk baseball. But Arkansas made rings for the Liberty Bowl? Did you see I mean, that? Saddest thing I've ever seen. That is Absolutely really bad. Funny, and that's how you know. That is how you know you're a joke of a program. Okay. When you're celebrating the Liberty Bowl with massive rings, like you won an SEC championship or the Super Bowl, what are we doing? I'd be embarrassed to get it. I would be embarrassed to receive that ring. That's something you like, put in the closet and never show anybody. Oh no, you that, get you, you get, if you're a player, you sell it. You get bowl rings. There you go. I think at a decent ma- amount of games. You just do, but you don't promote it on Maine on Twitter and act like it's the biggest thing that's happened to your program in 20 years. I mean, it's Arkansas, though. It, <laughs> I mean, it arguably is the biggest thing uh, that's happened. Very well right? could be. Yeah, and we're, anyway. I don't think we're all ready for the cliff that program's about to fall off. Well, we already saw oh, it last year, I think. If we're talking about uh, things falling off a cliff, though, and baseball, Marcelo Zuna, let me tell you how awful he has been for the Braves. <laughs> I love this. Okay. What All a right. transition. Yeah, that was, that was that was that was expert <laughs> level transition. Go thank fire you. away. Okay. Last year, Marcelo Zuna was not great, right? 124 games. He got five, just over 500 plate appearances. He had negative 0.8 war, which is for those of you who aren't aware, uh, war is wins above replacement, which measures how better or worse you are than like a statistically league average player. So like he, they lost a game they wouldn't have lost if they had just literally the most average person possible out there. So that was last year. 124 games, 507 plate appearances. This year, he has 55 plate appearances. He already has negative 0.8 war. Gosh. It took him literally one-tenth of the time it took him from last year to get negative eight war he is statistically the worst player and the least valuable player in the major leagues while also he costs atlanta 33 million dollars for the next two years i've got a fix for for this problem are you ready okay because i brought it up to you earlier today madison bumgarner got dfa'd what if the Braves sign him to a minor league deal and just let him hit dh let him dh he hits bombs (laughs) <laughs> he hits better than Ozuna. Bring him home. 
bring him home back to his home state. Everybody and let him DH Ozuna. over over Azuna. That's like, very fair. Like that's a phenomenal idea. Literally, <laughs> everybody in baseball hits better than uh, than Marcelo Zuna. That's such a bad umbrella to be under if you're Azuna. And and I think we are past the question and past the point to be able to ask this question of is this just a really long and bad slump or is Ozuna just not that good anymore? And I think it's the latter part of that question. When you go to Statcast and you look. Everything has fallen off a cliff. I mean, everything from sprint speed, he's behind in sprint speed to both of Atlanta's catchers. I mean, he that's tough. Sprint speed has fallen off. His actual bat speed. I talked uh, before the last series on the Braves Today podcast. I, I had the numbers, but he's missing pitches in the zone. His in-zone contact rate has fallen to just below 50%. It's a strike, and he can't hit it. And so, I mean, it's something he already lost the defensive prowess. It's hard to believe he was a gold glover like four years ago. But it's at the point now where it's, I mean, it's it's pretty embarrassing. And if he wasn't already, if he wasn't owed $33 million, he wouldn't have made it this long. But he's owed $33 million. The thought process you have to think is they gave him as much play as possible in spring, as much play as possible early in the year, hoping he'd go on a heater so that he could get traded for literally anything. Take out an- another bad contract. They tried to get Bumgarner last year for yeah. Ozuna in a straight swap, and the Diamondbacks said no, and then they just DFA'd Bumgarner. So yeah. well, my thought process... Natural progression here, DFA Ozuna, and both teams can just sign him. So I actually <laughs> put it in the mailbag for to- on Bravestoday.com that dropped today. Uh, my expectation is when Michael Harris is eventually able to come back for center field that they're going to make the move with Ozuna finally. Because Sam Hilliard has been so fantastic for the Braves. They got, got him in an offseason trade from Colorado for like a cup of coffee, a bag of balls, like nothing significant. Robbed a home run, was it two nights ago? He robbed he robbed a home run two nights ago. He's gotten a hit in almost every single game that he's played in in place of Mar- of, uh, of Michael Harris. Right now, 375, 474, 563 is the slash line for Sam Hilliard. Is that going to sustain at that level all season? No, but it's a lot better than they're getting from anybody else who is an option for left field like Eddie Rosario. We could sit here and talk about Marcelo Zuna and the problems he has for hours. I mean, this is a two-hour program, and we could fill that, no doubt about it, but... Why are all of these things happening? Why is he just absolutely plummeting towards the earth in his baseball career? Is it age at 32? Is it a mindset thing? Is it a combination? I mean, why is this all happening to a guy, as you mentioned just a few years ago, won a gold glove in the field? Won a gold glove and a silver slugger. He was a gold glover, right? I think 2019. He was the first ever National League DH silver slugger winner in 2020. Uh, it's... To me, it kind of looks like, and if you go back and you look at the stats, it almost exactly lines up. He had a career year in 2020. It's the highest like on-base average he's ever had. It's the highest expected slugging he's ever had. MVP race. As soon as he gets paid, he obviously stops trying, stops caring. And that combined with some of the natural slowdown that you get with age, if you don't do the extra work to come up with that, accounts for a lot of the drop. His weight's gone up. He's he's gotten slower. He's off just the field issues. Off the field, multiple off the field issues. Worse. He had broken fingers, and then while he was out with broken fingers, he had two different arrests: one for uh, domestic violence, one for DUI. And so it's it's one of those again. If he wasn't owed thirty three million dollars, he'd have been gone two years ago. But they're trying to not have to just eat that cost, and they're going to have to do it. 
outside of Marcelo Zuna, mm-hmm. the Braves are rolling. I mean, oh. they are they are playing some of the best baseball in the entire MLB. They've played the Padres twice. We go back to talking about the schedule the Braves have had to play. Mm-hmm. Yes, they got to play the Reds and the Royals and the Nationals, but they've had to play the Padres twice. And now they play the Astros coming up, and that series starts tomorrow. And so they play the Astros at home over in Atlanta This team is playing really, really well. They're still scoring at an unbelievable rate. Uh, It's it's sort of like the it's sort of like Auburn baseball when it comes to runs. Like they're going to score, but the Braves have the pitching to make up for it, and so they're they're just playing really, really good right now. Yeah, the start right now, uh, the the fourteen and four. Uh, start is the tied for the best performance in the first 18 games the Braves have had since they moved to Atlanta in 1966. Uh, this is the start of a huge, incredibly long stretch of consecutive games. They got the the Astros at home, the Marlins for four at home, which is a weirdly length, uh, weird length there with a with a day game on game four, and then they travel to New York to face the Mets for a weekend series, and then from there. They keep going. They go to Miami to play the Marlins again. Then they go home against the Orioles, finally get an off day before they welcome in your Red Sox for two games. hey uh, But it, it's just an incredibly long stretch. But they're playing very, very hot. Your, your rotation feels like it's pretty settled for the most part. You've got Freed. You've got Strider. Both of them look to be in midseason form. Strider just had an amazing... He's had eight straight starts of at least nine strikeouts. Wow. Tying John Smoltz for the, for the, uh, the Atlanta franchise record. You have uh, Morton looked pretty good yesterday. Gave up... Had really one bad pitch on a fastball to Juan Soto that was crushed for the only runs in that entire game. Uh, Kyle Wright is getting back into form. Uh, Bryce Elder has looked good. And then you've got multiple options to fill in uh, pitching-wise if you need them between prospects Dylan Dodd and Jared Schuster. And I'm hoping within the next month or so, Michael Soroka finally back and able to pitch in a major league uniform if they needed him to. So doing that, the offense as a whole is doing well. Even when you account for... uh, for Marcelo Zuna and how bad he is. The collective slash line of the Braves, 263, 345, 443. They are, uh, it is the sixth best batting average in baseball, the fifth best on base percentage, the sixth best slugging, and they're tied for fourth in home runs mm. with 27. So ev- just about everything's hitting all cylinders, and the Braves are missing three regular starters right now. Yeah. yeah. Garcia, Harris, and Travis Darno. And not, well. not that I have to tell you this, Lindsay, this is more for the listeners, but yesterday's loss to the Padres, that one nothing loss, that's the first time they were shut out all year. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just one of those things where the Braves not only score often, they score early. And yesterday looked like it was going to be one of those things again, because uh, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. leads baseball in runs scored. And it's very common. He gets on via either a single and then a stolen base in the first, or he hits a double in the first, and then Matt Olson or Austin Riley drive him in. I think I think Matt Olson's second or third in baseball in RBIs. Ronald Acuna's first and run scored. They usually score really early, and it was weird that they didn't do it yesterday. Uh, and it ended, ended up, that, that trio up top combined for one hit in the game, and I think that was the difference in the contest. But... Uh, rolling all the way through. They're getting contributions from the bottom half of the lineup, a bunch of backups who have stepped up, and Michael Harris should be back in the next week and a half. Orlando Arcia projects out to be somewhere between four to six weeks, and Von Grissom's doing okay right now. Uh, He's getting by offensively. He's getting by defensively. You're hoping the offense picks up a little bit. 
How impressive has it been? I mean, I guess this pitching staff is getting back to full health slowly, but the way that they, especially recently, have have gone out there and limited opposing teams' runs and given that offense uh, an opportunity to go out there and just win games consistently. How big has that been for this Braves team? It's been the defense has been very, very good, and it's not just been the stars. Like yes, Austin Riley has been uh, better than the defensive stats say at third base, but Sam Hilliard robs a Manny Machado home run. I think on Tuesday that would have made it a lot closer. Like like that, I believe that would have tied the game up had that home run gone. Uh, we see. Orlando Arcia was doing fantastic defensive play, but even Vaughn Grissom, after a little bit of shaky first two games, has had some good double play turns on defense, answered some of the questions about what his defense can do. Uh, uh, can he play defense at least an average level at the uh, at the major league level? And so run like it's it's not quite elite run prevention, but it's above average run prevention. And so that makes the mistakes that a a a pitcher who's not quite in midseason form yet, like a Kyle Wright, or like a Max Fried who's coming back from injury, it makes it gives them a greater margin for error as they try to hone everything in. And we see, we saw Wright be the beneficiary of some good defense. We've seen Max Fried be the, be the beneficiary of some good defense. Then Spencer Strider just handles his own business, strikes a bunch of guys out, and when somebody does get on, the Braves are pretty good at causing double, at turning double plays behind him to erase those runners. Well, the Braves are scoring, uh, again, at just a, an incredible rate. The defense is there. The pitching is there. And only going to get better as guys continue to get healthy. And, and really, the sky's the limit for a Braves team that is 14-5 and five overall this season as they get ready for Houston coming to Atlanta this weekend. Uh, Lindsey, how mad are you that Game 1 is on Apple TV Plus? Uh, as somebody who has Apple TV Plus, shout out, Mom. Uh, not actually that mad. I do feel a lot for Braves fans, though. And uh, if just to give y'all a heads up, we have an article at Bravestoday.com that is uh, how to watch Atlanta Braves baseball in 2023. There are six different platforms that these games could be on on any given day. That's ridiculous. Shout out MLB for making it incredibly difficult to consume their product. Because why would we want to make it easy to help grow the game of baseball where we could just spread this thing out and make it as difficult as possible? Yes, the blackouts are the biggest issue, and baseball's working on rectifying that. We were hoping, and there's still a possibility that you may see some movement on that this season. Diamond Sports, who owns the Bally Broadcast, you know, the, the regional sports networks, uh, they have missed some payments to three different teams. They've missed payments to the Diamondbacks. They've missed payments to, I think, the Guardians and the Twins. Oh, boy. And so MLB has started legal proceedings to get the broadcast rights away from Diamond Sports as a whole and not just for for those three teams. And MLB's plan would be to do some sort of, at least for this season, some sort of free broadcast option that would be digital, like a remove the blackouts from MLB.tv or something like that for this season. Developing stories, still trying to figure out what's going to happen with that, but they're working on it, hopefully soon. But once the RSN network goes away, that's the end of the blackouts. What so, a disaster that is. Just looking at the Braves' schedule, speaking yep. of TV okay. and where games will be, May 7th, Game 3 against the Orioles, NBC Peacock? What's up with that? I have not seen that before in my life. That is, so if you go around and you look in baseball, every Sunday there is a game at 11.35 a.m. Eastern, and that is a Peacock exclusive. It started last year. Fun fact, I actually, I found out about a month ago that apparently I had signed up for a free trial of Peacock and forgotten about it. 
Because I was looking at the bank statement, I was like, oh, what's this? Oh, this is from last season where I wanted to watch baseball on Sunday morning. Whoops. I had to pay for another platform. That's, you know what? I don't even think I included that in the six that I that I have on the site. We have to update that to seven. Wow. Seven platforms to watch baseball. Getting called out on the air, man. Brutal. <laughs> I didn't write it. Dan wrote it. There you go. Listen there you Dan. go. Hey, we've blown well, by our... Just throw, throw them under the bus. That's right. That's right. We have blown past our first break for what has probably been the third or fourth straight day now. But we got to get to a break here in hour number one. Lindsey Crosby joins us in studio. We're talking all things baseball. We'll get updated on what's happening around Major League Baseball when we come back here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7 online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. Back inside the studio at ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader for the Thursday edition of On the Line. Got a few minutes before we get to our bottom of the hour break. Lindsey Crosby joining us in studio. And uh, before we run out of time, uh, you will be here for the entire first hour. I am out of here in a few minutes. Going to call Lee Scott Baseball. First pitch at 3.30 on AU100. That's 100.3 on your radio dial or AU100FM.com. But, Lindsey, you'll be joining Carter for the final 30 minutes here an hour one but plug everything you got because you got a lot and I tell you every time I can't keep up with it because you come up with something new every week so plug everything you got going on because we always appreciate your time there's team there's times like I can't keep up either uh Crosby baseball on Twitter is the hub for everything for as long as Twitter exists but editor-in-chief of bravestoday.com your free source of Atlanta Braves news uh, Auburn baseball writer for the Auburn Daily that's auburndaily.com both of those are sports illustrated outlets as well as the host of the number one minor league baseball podcast uh, Locked on MLB Prospects, available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Yes, sir. You do so much, and you're fantastic. And so you and Carter are going to talk uh, Auburn baseball and SEC and all that stuff coming up in just a few minutes. But before I have to get out of here, I want to get your thoughts on the news that came out today. The Oakland A's, the possibly the worst program and the worst team in baseball when it comes to fan attendance and their caring of fans but yet they're still profitable we've talked about that at a lot but they announced today they're buying some land they're moving to sin city they're going to las vegas as early as 2027 is what i saw what do you think about all that uh it is this is a failure not of the fans in oakland this is not a failure of the decision makers on the baseball side in Oakland. This is a failure of John Fisher, the owner in Oakland. John Fisher is a billionaire. John Fisher can afford to build a stadium in Oakland that has every single amenity he could possibly want. John Fisher has been trying to get the city of Oakland and the state of California to pay for it, and Oakland refuses to spend taxpayer money to build a stadium for a privately owned company, which is... Honestly, a pretty good idea. I like the idea of not spending public money for a billionaire. Um, but so what he did, he's done everything he could he could to tank the team, to make it unattractive to come to games so that fan support would crater. And he could say, look, they're not even coming to the games. We're going to leave and go to Las Vegas. So I am happy for the players and the personnel that work in baseball that they're finally going to get treated like adults again by the ownership of the team i am happy for the city of las vegas that that they get a new stadium i'm happy for the residents that they get to see a lot of that stuff i'm a little 
curious because you've never had both a professional team and their AAA team in the same city. The mm. Las Vegas Aviators are AAA for the Oakland A's. Um, you've had them close by. The Braves have the Gwinnett Stripers are in the same metro area, but not the same city. So I'm a little curious how that's going to happen. Somebody jokingly said you should send the Aviators to Oakland <laughs> and just, just swap the two. Just to prove that you can actually have baseball in Oakland? Yeah. It's, uh, That'd it's, be funny. It, it'd be funny. It's really interesting. But no, this is absolutely a failure of ownership and of Fisher specifically. They're spending, they're going to spend $1.5 billion dollars on the stadium in Las Vegas, they could have spent that money in Oakland. Yeah, they There's absolutely nothing could. Nothing was stopping them from spending the money in Oakland. They chose to go to Las Vegas instead. And honestly, I'm a like it's uh, it's a like a partially roofed stadium. It is like 120 in the summer in Las Vegas. I'm kind of curious how that's going to work. Yeah, yeah, it's incredibly hot. It is definitely hot. Like to the point where the Aviators, because they don't have an enclosed stadium, they play games late in the evening sometimes or early in the day before it gets too hot. So yeah. like, how's this going to work for Major League Baseball? I guess we'll see. I'm excited for Vegas. They've proven they can have professional teams, and I think a baseball team will do very, very well. I'm out of here. Going to call Lee Scott Baseball. Tune in on AU100 at 3.30 first pitch. Lee Scott versus Cavalry. Carter's got you the rest of the way. Lindsey Crosby stays with him for the next 30 minutes. Jacob Goertz and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Welcome back to the Thursday edition of On the Line. Carter Bird in the Auburn Network studio. Jacob Goins is uh, going to call some Lee Scott Academy baseball here in the next uh, hour or so on AU100, au100fm.com, and the AU100 app if you want to keep track of that. We are joined in studio by Lindsey Crosby of Locked On MLB Prospects. Auburn Daily, Braves Today, man of many hats over here. Uh, and we're, we're talking Major League Baseball. And I want to dive into something that took place yesterday that is, uh, I know Lindsey has thoughts about, and he's going to get very fired up about. But uh, Max Scherzer yesterday was ejected after multiple checks uh, for foreign substances. And he says it is, uh, it's sweat and rosin. Lindsay, what are your thoughts on this situation, and what 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 context do we need to know moving forward with this? Because he does face, I guess, technically a ten game suspension, I believe. Yes, it is a if you are determined, like if you are ejected because of violations of the foreign substances rule for pitchers, uh, you are subject to an automatic ten game suspension. He can appeal this. I one hundred percent expect him to because this is such a really gray area the intent of the rule was to curb the use of illicit substances that were brought snuck onto the field in some way like spider tech and yeah there's a product for for those of you who aren't on board with this whole story there's a product called spider tech and other substances where the, the ball will literally stick to your hand and the idea is it prolongs the length of time your hand is in contact with the ball during the act of pitching the ball and which means the longer your hand is on the ball, the more spin you can impart during the pitch. Mm-hmm. So you can get extra higher spin rates. You can get more movement on the pitch and all that. So they put out the guidelines for 2022, 2021 about no extra substances. Scherzer had rosin, which is provided by Major League Baseball. 
and sweat. And they came, they, they checked him after the third inning, and they said there was too much tackiness on his hands. He had to go wash his hands. He changed his glove. Uh, a, a, supposedly a member of MLB, a representative, watched him wash his hands, washed the clumpy mixture of rosin and sweat off of his hands, and then he reapplied rosin, which, according to MLB's rules, you are allowed to apply rosin to the hand, to the arm, to the wrist. He reapplies rosin. It mix, he mixes it with the sweat on his arm so that he has better grip for the ball. And when he comes back out, umpire Phil Cuzzy, which, three, for the record, three players this season have been ejected for foreign substances reasons. And all three of them were inspected by Phil Cuzzy. No other umpire, that? No other umpire in baseball has thrown somebody out. Phil Cuzzy's thrown out three guys for this. Uh, they inspect him. They say, you have... it's. The, the level of tacky is way, like it's way higher than anybody else. They eject him from the game. He goes rightfully ballistic. And so he insists after the game, swears on his kid's life, which is kind of wild to me, that uh, it was spider tack and sweat. You I'm, mean I'm, rosin. I'm, 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 I'm sorry. It was, was rosin. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It was rosin and sweat. That's all it was. He admits he's like, was it a little, it was a little tacky. Yeah, but it was rosin and sweat. And we are allowed to have rosin. They give us rosin on the mound, mm-hmm. and then I sweat. He's like, I didn't mix it with sunscreen or anything else, and so I'm really, I'm gonna be following this. I'm really fascinated to see how this hearing goes, because he does have the right to appeal, and honestly, I expect them to probably offer to reduce the suspension if he's out the full ten games. I believe he'll miss the Brave series. So, because wow. what'll happen is he will be allowed to pitch until the hearing, which will probably be a day or two from now. And so the suspension will go into place once the hearing's over. If they don't reduce the suspension, he'll miss the Braves series. So the Braves will avoid him and Verlander both. Um, so that'll be nice for the Braves. But it's it's this whole thing would be fixed if they would go back to like we talked about on when I was here last week. They'd go to the pre-tacky ball. If they would just use that that ball, none of this would happen. But in the meantime, he technically didn't have a foreign substance. At what point does taking rosin? And combining it with something else, in this case sweat, which you have naturally, at what point does that become a different substance and become a foreign substance? It's a whole, like, yeah. that's going to be their argument, is you gave us rosin, you we naturally sweat, we combine the two, that's allowed. Because we have used no foreign substances. So I, you mentioned sunscreen, he said he didn't mix it with sunscreen. How do they enforce that? Because like when when I think about that, you can't tell a pitcher that he's not allowed to put sunscreen on his arms because right. that's absurd. Yeah, and some of those spray sunscreens, it leaves a bunch of stuff on your arm. Like mm-hmm. I feel like that's a tough thing to really enforce. Typically, the way it works is if the umpires notice some sort of trend or pattern. So like if you go, let's say every time you get the ball back, before you go to the ball, you you swipe your fingers across your wrist and then you make the pitch. And they go and they when they do, they're doing their checks, they notice a like a an extra deeper thick clump of sunscreen on your wrist. They can say, okay, that's obviously you're using it to get an advantage, not just natural sunscreen. If you just spray sunscreen on your arms and okay. if some of it happens to mix, that's fine. 
But if they notice a concentration of, of something anywhere, whether it's on the glove, whether it's on the wrist, the hand, that's why they're checking people's belts. We've seen some guys, they rub the back of their pant leg every time, and the question's always, is he going for a substance back there, or is that just like a, like a pattern thing that he has, or he rubs his hand off on his leg every time? Yeah. So that's kind of the intent. And you can, I've tried this, uh, you can mix sunscreen, you can't even, even just sunscreen by itself, the spray sunscreen will help you get a better grip on the ball. I took that baseball I brought in last week. Uh, I mentioned when your hands are a little damp, it sticks a little better. You spray sunscreen on your hand, and you get an even better grip on it. So, like, I've done it myself. I know it helps. It's just this whole thing is another layer of things that umpires have to enforce, and it becomes something where, obviously, there's different standards. No umpire's thrown anybody out but Phil Cuzzy for this, and he's thrown out three different guys. Like, obviously, this is not a standardized process, and it needs to be. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we it's not the first time we've seen a situation this year with Sweat and Rosin. The Yankees game, what, about a week ago? Domingo German. Yeah, and he, he was applying, I guess, Rosin in the dugout, and they made him go wipe it off a few times. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, how how is Major League Baseball going to navigate this if – it's, it doesn't feel like it's being universally judged by the umpires the same across the sport. Yeah, and part of it, knowing Max Scherzer and the way that he's approached all the previous rule changes, part of me feels like this was intentional, right? He wanted to prove a point that we don't have any consistency on this. You know, uh, Domingo German had to go wash his hands, but he wasn't ejected. He was able to return to the mound, and then the manager for the Twins, Rocco Baldelli, Baldelli was ejected for arguing about it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wait a second. Uh, You know, and then now I'm combining this to make a, like this is, I'm not bringing a foreign substance, but then I get ejected for the same thing that he did. And it's, the solution, and then what MLB wants to happen is they want to introduce that tacky ball and take this out of the equation. Guys have always looked for an advantage in baseball. I mean, there was the spitball. There was guys who would sneak razor blades to the mound to scuff the ball up. I mean, there's always uh, nail files. They'd yeah, sneak nail that, files uh, out there. Wasn't that Necro? Was it Necro that had the the nail file that he tried to throw and the umpire saw in that famous yeah, video? and ejected him out. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's always kind of happened, but it's baseball has to figure out consistency to this. And I think the consistency is just take out the need to use any other substance, have them use a ball with something applied, and going forward, anything else, uh, uh, anything else at all, ejection. That's that, that's how it's going to have to be. And take the subjective subjectivity out of it. Don't give the umpires another reason to make it one about them and not about the game. Because I'm tired of knowing um, I should not have to know umpires' <laughs> names. Unless you are Agreed. Pat Hoberg and you are amazing at calling games, I should not have to know an umpire's name. You're saying Joe West and Angel Hernandez weren't your favorite umpires? I'll ever? have you know, when I went to spring training this year, I specifically went to see the umpires and nothing else. That's what dr- <laughs> brings people to Major League Baseball and college baseball, is going to see umpires. That's what people go to. Little known fact. That means you loved that, that time that... Uh, why am I drawing a blank on the Phillies catcher uh, for JT Realmuto was ejected for uh, for not grabbing? The, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just it's stuff like that. It's awesome. Yes, they're actually. I'm actually part of an umpire fantasy league where you get points per ejection. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Phil Cuzzy is uh he is like the one one the number one overall pick. We love it. Unbelievable. Well, 
bringing it back to the Braves because they they have the Astros coming up mm-hmm. here this weekend. Uh, what are your thoughts about the Braves going into that series? And we're 19 games into the season, and the Astros are in a spot that I don't think we've seen them in in a while. They're staring up at the Angels and I believe the uh, Rangers as a, at the top of the AL West. How the, weird is that? The first place Rangers. I love it for my buddy Bryce, host of Locked On Rangers. He's over the moon that they actually you know are, are ahead of Houston for once ever, like in his life. Um, so Houston's had some injury issues. Obviously, they're without. Uh, uh, Jose Altuve, mm-hmm. he he had that injury in the World Baseball Classic. They're without, you know, Bregman's not, you know, to form and things like that. They have Jordan Alvarez, but they're not quite the same team that they were. The pitching is still there. We're going to see Hunter Brown, who prospect last year, uh, looks a lot like a baby Verlander. He grew up in Michigan watching Justin Verlander pitch for the Tigers. And so flamethrower, that's going to be a great Friday night matchup. Hunter Brown versus Bryce Elder, but we'll also get Framber Valdez versus Kyle Wright and Christian Javier versus Max Fried. The pitching is still good. I don't know if he's gonna, these are going to be very high-scoring games. All three of those pitchers, or two of them, uh, Brown and Valdez, have ERAs under two. Uh, and Javier is like three and a half. Mm-hmm. But the offense is not quite there yet for the Astros. And so I do think ultimately Atlanta's, I'm going to say, probably going to win two out of three because I'd never like to call a sweep for anything. Uh, and if the Braves lose one, it'll probably be the Friday night Apple TV game that nobody can watch, uh, simply because I I think Hunter Brown is that good. Uh, yeah. Speaking of, if you're in if you're in fantasy and you you need a, a pitcher, that might not be the best matchup. But think about going and grabbing Hunter Brown. He is um, a stud. The young man's a stud. He is one of he's on the list for Rookie of the Year. He's one of the top favorites of Rookie of the Year in the American League. Uh, if a pitcher would ever win it, I think it might be him. I love it. I love it. We need to hit our final break of hour number one. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit of Auburn baseball here on On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Welcome back to the uh, Thursday edition of On the Line, Carter Bird in the Auburn Network studio, joined by Lindsey Crosby of Locked On MLB Prospects and Auburn Daily, and I think that's where we're going we're gonna to go with it this segment, Lindsey. Uh, Auburn baseball finally kind of stopped the bleeding a little bit this week in the midweek, uh, got a win over, a pretty convincing win over Sanford that was desperately needed, but how do you feel about them bouncing back with that win? Win and how do you feel going into this weekend against Mississippi State in a crucial, critical, must-win series? So you say uh, a pretty convincing win. They scored six runs in the eighth to finally get the run rule. And honestly, in the press box, we didn't all realize that it was like, oh, it, it's about to be a run rule. Like we forgot that it's a it's a ten-run deficit, and it was uh, five five to three going into the eighth. Mm-hmm. Or. Seven, yeah, sorry, seven to three going into the eighth, and Auburn scores six runs to to get the run rule. But no, so you have right now in conference, you are five and ten, and the consensus is that you need uh, fourteen conference wins to make the postseason. You'd be a number three seed because SEC teams usually aren't lower than number threes, uh, and you're looking at ten spots for the SEC mm-hmm. is, is is the projection. 
Ole Miss was what last team in last year as a three seed, and they went on to win it. They were last team in. All you have to do is get in. So here's the issue with you need nine wins. You've got five series left. Okay, one of them this weekend at home versus Mississippi State, mm-hmm. who is technically, I believe, like half a game above you in the West standings. As bad as they've been, they're ahead of you in the standings right now because they they got to beat up on Ole Miss. You have to go to Ole Miss still, which is I th- winnable. I think they're dead even right now, heading into the the uh, weekend. There you go. Um, but you also have number one overall LSU at home for three games. You have to go to number six South Carolina for three games. And then you close the season with Missouri, who made a lot of noise early, but have, have had a bunch of pitching injuries and it's kind of fallen off. So if you assume, which I think you probably should, if you assume you're not going to get a game at South Carolina or LSU, that means. To go from five wins to 14, you have to sweep Mississippi State this weekend. You have to sweep Ole Miss. You have to sweep Missouri. And any game you don't win in those three series, you would then have to pick up against South Carolina or LSU. Yeah, 100%. It is a tough, tough road. Now, if you end up with like 13 instead of 14 or 12 instead of 14, it's entirely possible as long as you make the SEC tournament and you make make some sort of run... Mm -hmm. But the structure of the SEC tournament is you would be one of the last teams in, so you'd play that opening mm-hmm. game on Tuesday, and then you would play a game just about every single day until you're out. And so that's for a team that has struggled on the mound as far as starters and has struggled to have enough pitching to make it through a three-game series on the weekend, imagine this team having to play four games in four straight days or five games in five straight days. Like, you absolutely have to go out there and sweep Mississippi State this weekend. Uh, like, that is that is crucial because you got to have nine wins in your last 15 conference games to mm-hmm. feel comfortable about making the postseason. Speaking of State, and I guess Ole Miss as well, they've won the last two national championships. Why are they struggling so much right now through the—I mean, State the past two years, Ole Miss this year just 3-12 and 12 in conference play— what can be attributed to that? It all comes back to pitching. Like at a certain point, you can make it happen offensively in the SEC. It all comes down to one: how do you do against the the top pitchers that you face offensively? So, so how does your offense fare against them? And then how good are your arms? And Chris Lemonis at Mississippi State, Mike Bianco this year at Ole Miss. You've seen injuries. You've seen ineffectiveness. You've seen youth, and and inexperience and that's been the biggest struggles now i'm surprised mississippi state struggled for two straight years mm-hmm. typically you see some programs and like auburn had a back had a down year in 2021 where they had lots of injuries in the rotation they had to have mm-hmm. play some youngsters early but we saw the benefits of that the next year when they had trace bright and mason barnett and hayden mullins and these guys took them all the way to three games in omaha yeah uh, and both Bright and Mullins have uh, Bright and Barnett have looked really good in the pro so far this year. Uh, they both got write ups on Locked On MLB prospects this week on the show about how well they've looked in their debut performances in the Major League Baseball. But I don't know why Mississippi State didn't get that year to year improvement in the pitching from having to use all those guys in uh, in in twenty two. I guess it wouldn't be that dissimilar these past two years. To Auburn, really, the first time they go to the College World Series, we just forget about the 2020 season that was starting rough mm-hmm. because the season got canceled and, and we never saw how it all ended up. But that was not on a great 
pace for Auburn at that point in time. So, I mean, it, I, I do wonder if if you were a Mississippi State fan, are you expecting a big bounce back next year from this year, from, from these past two? Uh, they they absolutely are, and I think they were ex- like they were expecting the bounce back this year. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they didn't get it, depending on how State finishes the year, Chris Lemonis may not be the coach next year. Fair, you know, he may, especially earlier in the year before they they uh, beat Old Miss in the series, you know, the big rivalry series and things like that. There were talks about he may get fired mid season, which doesn't happen a lot in college baseball. I probably wouldn't expect him to, but there were conversations about him getting fired when they were getting blown out by twenty at home. There was talks about him not making it through the rest of this season. So they definitely are going to expect, I'd imagine if they don't make the postseason next year, he's definitely gone if he makes it through this year. Uh, if, they make the, if, if they make the SEC tournament, and make, which as of now they're on pace to do because you're, you're going to have all but two teams make it. It looks like it's going to be Georgia and maybe Missouri not make it. Uh, then you have to, or sorry, Georgia and Ole Miss, you have to figure out if he's gone, well, one, if he's gone, they're going to come after Butch. They're going to, first, first call they make is Butch Thompson. But uh, they're going to have to do it next year. And they've gotten a lot of their young pitchers some experience. Gerangelo Sintahe, the switch pitcher mm-hmm. that they have, he's gotten a lot of run on the weekends. He's getting through a well, lot yeah, of the growing pains. He's two arms. He's, in essence, two arms. You have to, uh, people who don't know this, he's, he pitches both left-handed and right-handed. He's got better breaking stuff from the left-hand side. He's got better velocity from the right-hand stuff side. He has to warm them up separately, but if they're both warmed up, he can switch between batters. The rule that the SEC put into place this year because of him is the pitcher, in essence, has to declare before the hitter does. Yeah, which mirrors the MLB rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but like he can pitch left-handed one batter, right-handed the next. He has a special glove that can be worn on either hand, and so he doesn't quite have he he can't combine the pitch uh, the pitch counts. Of two pitchers, so he can't go like 150 pitches, but he can he can pitch the same length as a normal pitcher, maybe get a little bit extra out of him, and he can mix up between lefty and righty. It's really interesting to watch. Well, Lindsay, appreciate your time. Uh, where can everybody keep track of you and everything you've got going on? Uh, Crosby Baseball on Twitter. Everything runs through there. Locked into the prospects wherever you get your podcasts. BraceDay.com, AuburnDaily.com. Appreciate it, Lindsay. We uh. Hope to have you in soon. Hopefully talk about some positive Auburn baseball stuff sometime (laughs) soon. Uh, Coming up, hour number two of On the Line. You are On the Line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here in the Auburn Network studio. Carter Bird solo in the back half, back, I guess, hour and a half of the show. Just had Lindsey Crosby in the studio for the first hour. Uh, great talking baseball with him, Major League Baseball, Braves, uh, Auburn baseball, all of the above. It was a great conversation. You can, If you missed it, you can catch it on the podcast, uh, the On the Line podcast that will be up after the show. Uh, Jacob Goins is calling Lee Scott Academy Baseball right now. I think they get rolling in about 30 minutes on AU100. 
100.3 FM, AU100FM.com, and the AU100 app. Uh, we're going to go to the phone lines here to start hour number two. We got Terry on the line. Terry, welcome in. How are you? How are you? Doing great, Carter. How you doing, buddy? Doing all right. Doing all right. Uh, what, you, what you got for us here today? Hey, before I get to my comments, happy birthday to Jack Hutton. Yes, you're right. Oh, my goodness. I forgot about that for a little bit. Happy birthday, Jack Hutton. Absolutely. Um, now that, now that, did I hear Lindsay say correctly that the A's are moving to Las Vegas? Yes, they are. Okay, it appears so. that way. I don't know if it's 100% done, but uh, the I think the A's purchased a bunch of land in Las Vegas. Okay, well, now that they have the Raiders, the Golden Knights, and now the A's, for the most part, how long do you think it's before the Los Angeles Clippers become the Las Vegas Clippers? That's a good question. I think the NBA might be looking into expansion regardless, and I, I, I've heard some statements about that, and uh, I think Vegas and Seattle are the two cities that I've uh, heard speculated could be the two franchises that get added. So I don't know if Vegas is going to end up with an NBA team, whether it's your your Clippers here moving to Vegas or it's an expansion team, a new team being added to the NBA. But don't the Clippers share an arena with the Lakers? No, they they actually built a, a new arena a few years ago uh, with because they've got that. Who's there? Who's the Clippers owner again? Uh, he has all that money, and he um, built. What owner doesn't have money? He he built an arena. Steve Ballmer did um, a few years ago, and they've they've been out of the formerly Staples Center, I guess now the Crypto dot com Center or something like that. Well, they're still in the same town, and they're going to be looked upon as the Lakers' little brother no matter what. I just think they'd want to go somewhere. Actually, their I'm own wrong. Team. They're still playing in the Crypto.com arena. I know they bought land, and they might be in the process of building that new that new arena, wherever it is. Okay. I heard earlier today that the quarterback for Cincinnati jumped in the portal. Yes, Would he Ben be a Bryant. guy that Auburn's looking at? I mean, I think at this point in time, you're absolutely exploring all options. I think that there will definitely be some sort of of contact there. Uh, he's a guy who's he's uh, had an interesting career. He started out at Cincinnati, was there for three years, transferred to Eastern Michigan, where he was the starting quarterback in 2021. Uh, it was 279 to 408, threw for 3,000 yards, 14 touchdowns, seven interceptions, then transferred back to Cincinnati. Uh, where he was the starter last year. He's a 61% passer last year, 2,700 yards, 21 touchdowns, seven interceptions. I'll be honest with you, Terry, I think that that's an upgrade over every quarterback in Auburn's quarterback room right now. Absolutely. And uh, what about running-wise? Because Hugh Freeze likes to run that RPO, and and I, I, you know, I would think well, that's part of the game as well. I think, I think whoever Hugh Freeze brings in, I don't think you have to be – a running quarterback. I think he values, in my assessment, I think he values accuracy and the ability to go through a progression, go through reads over that right now with the state of his current Auburn roster. Uh, ben Bryant is not a mobile quarterback. He has 164 rushing attempts for his career for negative 65 yards. He does have four four rushing touchdowns, though. Ouch. So he's, I mean, obviously a lot of those are sacks, but... Um, I can't remember who I heard it said yesterday, but it was something along the lines of, why not you know run the type of offense you ran in 13 with Auburn's depth at running back and Robbie Ashford certainly can legs can be an asset because Nick Marshall threw for about what 100 yards a game. 
I mean, well, he had some outlier games where he was a lot better. I mean, we we did see some games. I think he went, what, three of seven in Knoxville in a game where Auburn hung 52 on Tennessee in their building. I mean, he was not a great passer in 13. He did have a few outlier games. He did have some moments where he had to make some big, big passing plays. Um, But, yeah, I mean, you could do that. I'm not sure that's kind of what Hugh Freeze has in mind right now with this roster. Well, if the quarterback he's been interested in today is not as mobile, the improvements on the offensive line that Hugh Freeze has made become even more important. 100%. 100%. Because you have to give your quarterback time. That's been an issue that we've seen the past few years. Really, I mean, ever since Bo Nix started playing quarterback for Auburn and maybe uh, even Jarrett Stidham in 2018, the quarterbacks have been taking that snap, and the first thing they do is look down at their offensive line to see where where the free runner, where who's losing uh, a battle in a one-on-one and in, in, in pass pro, and uh, where are, are these Auburn quarterbacks going to have to go? Where are they going to have to run for their lives to keep the play alive and not take a sack? Yeah, the, the offensive line that, that Jacquez Hunter and his cohorts are going to run behind this year, I wish Tank Bigsby would have got a chance to run behind an offensive line that good. Fair. I agree with you. I mean, I, I think if I think Tank Bigsby would be thought about drastically differently in this NFL draft if he had been running behind this upcoming offensive line, or if you if you even if you go back to 2017, that was better than what uh, Tank Bigsby ran behind by a long shot in his career at Auburn. I think he would have he would be drastically uh, better with the 2017 line and. I mean, I can't even think about what crazy numbers Jarquez and Tank could put up behind that 13 offensive line that may be one of the best, maybe the best, run-blocking offensive line in SEC history. And I, and I was as critical of Bo Nix as anybody, but I would love to see Bo Nix play behind an offensive line that good. Yeah. I mean, he, he goes to Oregon where he gets some high-level quarterback development from Kenny Dillingham. He's got a better offensive line. That that Oregon team is better built in the trenches, thanks to Mario Cristobal and and what he did there, than really the rest of that uh, conference. And he had some skill position players, and we saw what he did. And Bonix played behind played for coaches at Auburn that didn't give a rat's rump about the offensive line. Yeah, I mean, That's simple as that. You had Appreciate you Carter. had multiple defensive linemen. Uh, that got converted, defensive tackles converted to guards and tackles on the offensive side. Um, and that's not a recipe for success in modern college football. Sure, maybe it could work out once or twice, but when you're consistently doing that, I mean, look at Jeremiah Wright. Jeremiah Wright switched positions like six times in his Auburn career, it feels like, and finally is settling into guard where I think he can be a really good player. We're going to head back to the phone line here. We got Ty the Tiger on the line. Ty, welcome in. Hey guys, um, I just wanted to I get back on that Max Scherzer thing, man. I thought that was crazy yesterday with that. Um, just the, the the straight fact of um, of the guy of the of, of of him, you know, being one of the most outspoken on the sticky substances, you know, when that first dropped. Yep. And then for him, the irony of him getting tossed that was that was crazy. That 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 right there is gonna. I, I think that's gonna have a ripple effect. I doubt if that guy's. 10 games. You're, wait, you're, you're saying you doubt he gets the, the full 10-game suspension? 
I think he's gonna. Uh, I think he's definitely gonna appeal it. And yeah, one hundred percent. I don't think he'll get it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I, I mean, they'll probably test the substance on his glove or on his hands. Or they've probably yeah. done something like that. And if it's truly sweat and rosin, that'll show up. And I think they'll they'll get rid of this suspension, but. It really is becoming a problem in Major League Baseball because this is now twice in a week where we've seen a lot of hoopla around sticky substances when it's really just sweat and rosin. And one other, the other crazy thing in sports I saw this week that I wanted to talk about, not Auburn related. Did y'all see Russell Westbrook go after that fan in that in that uh, commissary room or whatever that was? I did see that, that clip. Oh my. Gosh, dude, are you – I mean, like, I, I, I'll say this. I, I remember one of my favorite memories. I will never forget this. My dad took me when I was young to a baseball game, and he kept calling the uh, umpire grapefruit league. And I thought he was giving it to the umpire so bad. In between innings, the umpire came over and actually said something to my dad. <laughs> like, And I just and – and I was embarrassed at first, but then when he did – Everybody around him started yelling and applauding. It was it was hilarious. So it, you know that's just part of that game for for that. That was that was a uh, another level to just yeah. find a fan with his son sitting there. They looked like his son or you know a, a young a young dude sitting next to him. And I mean that just when I say that that I've never seen that you know other than you know the obviously the uh, the. Um, uh, malice in the in the palace or whatever it's called, you know. <laughs> I mean, you yeah. know, I've seen them go after fans like that, but I mean, that was crazy. Yeah, that no, I I I agree. I think that, I mean, I do think that there are certain lines as fans that you should not cross, and I don't know what was said to Westbrook, but I also do think that I think this is true about the NBA. Uh, I think it's true about R- Russell Westbrook. I think the NBA is the most sensitive league when it comes yeah. to players letting, uh, whether it's people on Twitter or or fans in the stands, letting it bother them. Um, you see all sorts of stuff that, all sorts of drama that happens with that. I mean, and that's one of the staples well, of, like of the K- NBA. K- KD going back and forth on Twitter with fans. So there was call, you know, like yeah. That, you're right. They are. They they really are. And, and it's funny because you know, like it, you come, we come from an you know, I come from the Jordan era where you know Jordan, you know, they 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 made Jordan better when they called him out and yeah. yelled at him. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they didn't go crying and go. Jordan didn't go find them in the locker room or you know in the in the in the uh, the complimentary drinks room in the food room. He 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 dropped fifty on. Them. Yeah, you know what I mean, and 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 Westbrook had such a good game. I even saw the highlight and thought, man, Westbrook proved it versus KD because I felt like he showed KD out that game and really like put on like a old Westbrook type of uh, of balling like. And then I saw the clip and I was like, are you kidding me? In yeah. the middle of this All Star performance, which everybody, I mean, you were he was literally traded and then dropped because they didn't want him. And then you do this, and then you do that, and it was just like, <laughs> oh man, it was it, it was it was it was a very bad sports moment it, 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 this week. Um, just made me like not like the guy even more. 
Yeah, I, I, I think he's been very um, sensitive, especially like fans will yell Westbrook at him because his shooting numbers are so bad now. I think he lets that get to him. I mean, he's it's been something that's happened over time, but I agree with you. I mean, you can't have – you can't you if the fan crossed the line. I think you get a security guard to go escort that fan out. I don't think you show yeah. up in the in the <laughs> club lounge to yell at the guy. So real quick, man, I'm gonna let you go. Who's your NBA Finals pick? Oh, NBA Finals pick. I feel like I'll I gotta go. I'll tell you mine. I'll tell you mine. Sure. Lakers, Seventy Sixers, and I think the Seventy Sixers win. I think Embiid gets his ring. Interesting. I I think I'm gonna go. I think I'm gonna go Celtics. Oh, and and out of the West. Yikes! I don't really know out of the West. I feel like what, what, it's like. What's the best train wreck you got? <laughs> I mean, I feel like if the Suns ever put it together, they should be there. But I mean, I don't know. For for fun right now, I'll say Kings because the Kings look kind of scary good oh, through through two games. They're young. They're young. All right, man. Have a good one. Appreciate it, Ty. That was Ty the Tiger on the line. Uh, I think we're going to – I'm going to go to break early right now, and then uh, when we come back, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, TJ Finley and some of the stuff going on with him before we get Chris Gordy on the line at 3.30. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. Welcome back to the Auburn Network studio. Carter Bird in in studio here, solo in the back hour and a half of this show after Jacob Goins had to leave for some Lee Scott Academy baseball on AU100, uh, 100.3 FM, AU100FM.com, and the AU100 app. Uh, He gets rolling, I think, in about 10 minutes or so. Uh, for his doubleheader today. Uh, but I, I was talking, or I guess I kind of teased before the break. I want to talk about TJ Finley. And I guess I've made my opinion clear on what I think about TJ Finley as a player. I don't think he is an SEC quarterback. I don't think he's an SEC West quarterback, uh, much less. I mean, I, I, I very much don't. I don't think he's a Power 5 quarterback. I think he's a G5 player, um, but I, I also think that what we've seen surrounding TJ Finley, I think he thinks a lot more of himself than his abilities actually are, because we saw um, last year some of the comments on social media um, appearing to blame his offensive line, his dad going on Locked on Auburn. Um, roasting the coaching staff and the offensive line, blaming others, and it's and it always does seem to be somebody else's fault. But TJ Finley went on Locked On SEC, who we're gonna have Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC here next segment on the show, and I want to bring it up to him and get his thoughts. But TJ Finley on Locked On SEC this week said that from the com- competition standpoint. When Auburn brought in Zach Calzada and Robbie Ashford, TJ Finley called that a slap in the face that the staff didn't believe in what they already had in the quarterback room. I just think that's bogus. 
you have to keep adding to the quarterback room, especially in the transfer portal era, because at any given moment, a guy could hit the portal. Bringing in Robbie Ashford, I think from a depth perspective, was a no-brainer last year. Bringing in Zach Calzada, you wanted him to be the starter, and he turned out not to be what you thought. But that's a lot of, of confidence, a lot of game to talk for a quarterback that for his career is a 57% passer. Across three seasons, across 18 games, has barely passed 2,000 yards passing. A guy who has a touchdown-to-interception ratio of 12-10. to 10. He doesn't protect the football. He fumbles the ball a lot, too. Those stats are not in front of me. He's not a very mobile guy, either. He's got three rushing touchdowns on 31 yards rushing on his 66 carries for his career. But we watched TJ Finley last year. We watched him. When the lights came on, he's not that guy. He's not the guy that can lead your program. He's not the guy that can go win you 9-10 games. He does not have the ability to. He's never been that guy. He had a, he has a couple flashes. Final drive against Georgia State in, in 2021 when he leads Auburn down the field to win the game in a situation that Auburn never should have been in in the first place. He had a couple games at LSU where he was pretty good. Outside of that, it hasn't been pretty. It hasn't been pretty at all. And and this this idea, the way that he was talking about it on Locked On SEC made it seem like he's this fringe all-SEC quarterback. He's this defined, true starter that's proven, a proven commodity, a guy that you can rely on. He has a few good games in his career. In his freshman year at LSU, 17 of 21 uh, against South Carolina, 265 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, and a rushing touchdown. Arkansas, 27 of 42, 271, two touchdowns. That's it his freshman year. That's really it because it was really bad against Auburn. It was really, really bad against Texas A&M. And it wasn't anything special. It wasn't anything to write home about against Alabama. It's 50% passing, 144 yards on a touchdown. Then, in year two, we saw what? Zero good performances? We saw one good drive out of his entire time that season. Because that Auburn team in 2021 has no business losing on the road at South Carolina. And yes, you fought your rear end off against Alabama. You go to, what, four overtimes, whatever it was, and you lose. T.J. Finley didn't keep you in that game. The offense did nothing. And then he didn't look good in the bowl game either against Houston. Last year, I mean, his best game was, really, he didn't have a good game when you look at it. I just don't, I don't know where that confidence that This is a slap in the face. This is disrespectful that they go out and add quarterbacks. That's just a false narrative. And talk about last night, I guess T.J. Finley's getting some some criticism and some hate from the Auburn fan base 
because he posts on social media. He posts on his Instagram story a picture of Jesus Christ on the cross being being crucified. And he said, they hated Jesus too. I'm not sure that's the right move there, TJ. I don't think you can compare yourself to Jesus Christ. Definitely not in this instance. But there's, there's enough just garbage around TJ Finley and his Auburn career. Social media posts. The thing last year with the, the parking tickets. Um, the Everything that goes on, it's ridiculous. And it's tired. He's not the guy. He's the third-string quarterback right now in a bad quarterback room. He is, in my mind, unequivocally the third quarterback. He, he will. I do not think he will be on this roster in 2023. And his comments point that out. He's talking about considering transferring. He said he... he he said that a couple times now. And I just think the, the Auburn fan base is tired of this. It's, it's played out like, hey, it's over. Like, why, why, why are we still sticking with this? To me, the only reason why TJ Finley is even still on this campus right now is because he has to graduate to, to leave. I think he said on Lockdown SEC that he's on pace to graduate sometime in June. And so he could transfer there if he wanted to because he has his free grad transfer. I expect that to be what happens. I expect him to leave. And I don't think I don't think there's a scenario where he's on this roster in 2023. And frankly, I honestly would have expected him to hit the portal already. But it's it's the juice is not worth the squeeze with TJ Finley anymore. It's it's just it's not worth it. And and Auburn can go find guys in the transfer portal that are better for the locker room, that work harder, and are just better quarterbacks and fit this scheme better. But I like I just wanted to go on a rant about that because and I'm going to bring it up to Chris Gordy here in this next segment because I just don't... Is This is an instance of a player being, I guess, dis, just delusional about where he's at and what he thinks, where he thinks he's at. Because I think TJ Finley thinks he is an all-SEC quarterback. And at zero points in his career have we seen anything remotely close to that. And I think it's just, it's a tired charade at this point. And I think it's best for everybody involved if TJ Finley were to hit the portal went and, grad, and grad transfer somewhere else. There's there's other places where he can get playing time, probably not at the power five level, but I I just don't think it's doing anybody any good. Whether it's TJ and his family, or whether it's it's Auburn, this roster, this offense, this staff, Hugh Freeze, I don't think it's doing anybody any good having TJ Finley still on this roster. And that's why and that's why I am 100% certain Auburn is going to get a quarterback in the portal. We saw some people hit the portal today. Ben Bryant, the Cincinnati quarterback, Chance Nolan, the Oregon State quarterbacks out there. Um, Harrison Bailey, the former Tennessee quarterback, he's out there. There's a handful of quarterbacks in the portal that I expect Auburn to at least do their due diligence on and communicate with. 
and communicate with, and uh, I, I am very interested to see what happens. The portal's been a little bit slow, uh, but I expect it to heat up sometime soon. ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Welcome back to the Thursday edition of On the Line. Carter Bird in the Auburn Network studio. Jacob Goins is calling some Lee Scott Academy baseball as they are uh, underway right now on AU 100, 100.3 FM, AU, AU100FM.com, and the AU 100 app. We are joined on the phone line by our typical Thursday second hour guest, Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC. Chris, Welcome in. How are you? Uh, yes, please refer to me as the still blue checkmarked Chris Gordy, okay? So that means you're subscribed to Twitter Blue, right? Yeah, look, the <laughs> benefits are... The, the, the benefits were to, tw- to work to tweet longer videos. I'm at press conferences all the time. I'm doing That's interviews fair. all the time. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat there trying to get a damn clip under two minutes and 20 seconds. So if anything, that was the benefit, but I'll take the blue check mark. Yeah, no, hey, I I get it. I get it a hundred percent. I mean, I've seen plenty of uh, locked on hosts and and uh, members of sports media uh, have have kind of done the same thing to to get those longer videos and the other benefits of Twitter Blue. So hey, I don't blame you at all. Well, Chris. I just went on a rant about it because um, you had TJ Finley on this week, and and I he had some interesting comments, and I'm I'm curious what your immediate takeaways were from from what he said uh, on Locked On SEC. Yeah, I mean, I had TJ on. I've I've known TJ a long time. I've I covered him, uh, didn't cover him, but I, I saw him play in in high school. I was doing a show a radio show down in the New Orleans area. I saw him play a couple times at Pontchartula and. Um, you know, when he went to LSU, it was a big-time get, you know, hometown kid, stays mm-hmm. in Louisiana. And I even remember back in his, in his high school days, like, people were making comparisons to, you know, Jamarcus Russell just because of his mm-hmm. size and his big arm and things like that. So fans were excited. And, and then when, you know, the Miles Brennan injury happened that year, his freshman year at LSU, he got thrown into the fire, started a game against South Carolina and played well and, uh, the next week, I think went to Auburn and didn't play well, but like we were, we were high on him. Like the, yeah. the hope was he was going to develop into a good quarterback, and then he transfers to Auburn, and obviously you guys know it's just it's been a mixed bag. It's like he's had every opportunity in the world to grab this thing by the reins, and for some reason it just it hasn't worked out. He just it it hasn't been you know even a glimpse of what he once was even at LSU. So. I don't know what's happened. Maybe it's all the different coaches, different offensive coordinators, different playbooks and all that. But I just had TJ on, you know, I, I reached out to him and said, let's get you on post-spring, uh, you know, post-spring uh, game and let's just talk about where you're at and all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, I thought he gave a pretty good interview and talked about yeah. a lot of the different pieces on this roster, what he likes and what he doesn't like. And then he kind of revealed it. Well, look, I'm graduating in June and, you know, everything's on the table right now. I mean, if I'm not going to be the, 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 the starter here or maybe even the backup, I may go elsewhere. And that was kind of what he said. But I was surprised the, ne- the, the amount of negativity that 
people had towards it. Because in the moment doing the interview, I didn't think there was anything that crazy that he said. But I think a lot of people took it as, uh, you know, uh, he's basically saying he's moving on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there have been some comments about potentially going into the portal for the last few weeks. And um, I, I I do think that there's been some some social media posts that uh, that seemingly have maybe put some blame elsewhere. And I don't think uh, his dad going on Locked on Auburn necessarily did any favors with uh, the Auburn fan base this past year. But when you look at TJ Finley with all of the potential and the comparisons to Jamarcus Russell – in your estimation, like why why hasn't it panned out to this point? Do you think it's just that he got thrown out there too early in his career? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. I just I, the answer is I don't know. I mean, you know, like I said, they were we were very high on him his his freshman year at, at LSU, and then ultimately Max Johnson got the job and then finished strong that year. Um, but you know, everybody kind of thought he was going to stick it out. Now the writing was on the wall that Miles Brennan was going to be coming back and all that kind of stuff. And then Coach O got fired, and you know, it was just a big just mess that happened in the years after that. So, um, and then he comes to Auburn. Obviously, it's been a tenuous situation since he got there. Different offensive coordinators. Brian Harson gets fired. He comes to Freeze. So it's just, it's been like the guy has not had one year with the same head coach, yeah. the same OC. You know, to, to to run the offense that he's supposed to run. So. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a lot of all that combined, and so that's where I kind of you know the writings on the wall. A fresh start might be best for him, um, but but you know somebody brought up too. They said he was he was good enough. You know, I, I don't think there was any game he played for Auburn that just blew you away. But he really did play well enough for them to beat Alabama in the Iron Bowl two years ago. That's what's so crazy about it. <laughs> they, yeah. He didn't play great, but he played well enough. And we all know if Tank Bigsby goes down in bounds, he'd probably win that game. And we're talking about. A guy who's got an Iron Bowl win on his roster or yeah. on his resume. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've heard some rumblings that maybe southeastern Louisiana is a school in Hammond near Pasadena, where he's from. Obviously, a much smaller school, but a guy with his talent, he should go there and 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 wreck shop. I mean, if, if that was the, the move, and I think his little brother goes to school there, so that would make sense. But. Even maybe even, you know, somebody throw out there like a Western Kentucky or an Alabama State or just something like that. I think if he went to any of those places, he would instantly be one of the most talented players on the field. So, um, I don't know. I would expect, just just if I'm making a guess, I would expect we'll probably hear an announcement here, you know, sometime May or June that T.J. Family plans to transfer. Because keep in mind, if he graduates in June, he'll be a, a grad transfer. He can mm-hmm. kind of go wherever he wants. So, with that in mind, with the transfer portal and – if TJ were to move on, Auburn would have to go get somebody in the portal to to be in that quarterback room. Uh, if if you were with the names in there right now, if you were looking at the portal, who would you have your eye on as a potential target for Auburn? Well, again, like I thought, I thought Grayson McCall they made a lot of sense, and we as we know they tried to get him and it didn't work out. But then somebody told me that. You know, he might be available again and all that. So I don't know what the latest is there. Um, I know the kid from Cincinnati just put his name into the hat because uh, it sounds like Emory Jones is going to be the starter in Cincinnati. Um, you know, so he's a name I would look at. I know they were flirting with the, with the kid at Oregon State. So there's some names out there. There's nobody that, like, really just stands out and goes, oh, my God, Auburn's got to go get that guy. But, um, yeah, I think we'll have some new names here. But, you know, just to – with, with the start of what you said, I, I think it's the opposite. I think Auburn told TJ, 
look, we're going to add another guy in the portal. I don't know what that means for you, but just mm-hmm. giving you a heads up, as opposed to TJ saying, hey, guys, I'm going to leave. You might want to go get a, a transfer quarterback. I think Auburn kind of sent a message to their entire quarterback room going, guys, what we had in the spring was not good enough. we got to go add another body here. So, um, yeah, I think it's more TJ's reacting to what was said at Auburn because uh, I think I think Hugh Freeze and Philip Montgomery just looked at what they had throughout the spring and said, yeah, this ain't it. I mean, if we had to start, Robbie Ashford will do that, but we need we need a, another body in here that can compete for the starting job. Yeah. Uh, are you surprised to this point? It feels like the we expected the, the transfer portal period to be really chaotic, and it feels like it's been a little bit slow. Are you surprised with with the lack of movement, maybe, or the lack of chaos? I mean, we, we know basketball, the portal's been wild. I mean, at one point in time, I think a fifth or a fourth of all of Division One college basketball was in the portal. Uh, are you surprised that it's been a little slower with, with football so far? Yeah, I'm a little surprised. And it's funny you mentioned basketball. I was just talking with somebody about you know the transfers LSU's bring in. LSU's going to have an entire new starting five next year. So it's just wow. it's funny how quickly the portal can can overhaul a, a team. But uh, yeah, I'm a little surprised we haven't had some bigger names thrown back into the portal. But I think a lot of this has to do with you know we went through spring, we saw the competition. Most kind of guys know where they are. Like for instance, um, I forget the kid's name, Groggins. I think it is. He's a three-star offensive lineman at Georgia. He came in a year ago. Uh, Georgia brought back a lot of their pieces on their whole line. Cedric Van Fran decided to come back for a fifth year to play center at Georgia, and their two guards are back. So this kid's looking at it going, um, yeah, I came here to play, and there's no room, and so I'm going to go hit the portal. So like, he just put his name in the portal because you know they came out of spring ball, and he's not guaranteed a starting spot. So like those kind of things make sense. Uh, I'm just surprised we haven't seen him more quarterbacks and maybe yeah you know, this is where this is where schools are doing damage control i just saw brian kelly was all part all fine bomb this afternoon and talked about how he has two starters at quarterback in Jaden daniels and garrett nussmeyer literally called them two starters now lsu's not going to run a two quarterback system but it almost seems like brian kelly is having to say that because the minute he says well garrett nussmeyer is clearly our backup that nussmeyer suddenly starts to go well maybe i should enter the portal so it's funny. I think a lot of coaches are trying to play this the safe path of, hey, look, man, stick around. You know, you're going to play this year. Like, don't you know, no reason to hit that portal. Uh, and they're trying to do roster control. And I think that's where a lot of kids are weighing the pros and the cons right now. The other thing is, think of where we are. I mean, we're in late April, about to go into May. Man, if you're if you're a quarterback or you're a running back or a receiver, you got to go to a school. You got to learn a whole new playbook, a whole new system. You're behind the eight ball at a school that just went through spring ball. So it, um, I don't know, man. I don't know if we're going to have the mass exodus of movement that we thought we might have with the second uh, second iteration of the transfer portal. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with you at this point in time. Auburn has uh, already offered a couple offensive linemen in the portal. What does that say about how they feel about that group coming out of spring? And uh, are, is this more of, in your mind, a depth play, or are they looking for these guys to come in and immediately play, like Emmanuel Pregnant out of Wyoming or Jaden Muskrat out of Tulsa, who has that connection with Philip Montgomery, who was his head coach last year? Yeah, my initial thought is they're just trying to add depth. Um, and, and I'm hearing that from a, a number of SEC programs that, you know, they, they might feel pretty good about where their offensive line is coming out of the spring, but. As we know, I mean, one injury, and it can mess up the entire uh, 
you know, momentum of your offensive line. So I, I think it's safe to add to add some depth. Um, you know, maybe if some of the incoming freshmen you don't believe can impact or make an impact immediately, or maybe some of the early enrollees, you know, you weren't all that impressed with them. Yeah, go get a guy who's who's played a good bit at uh, you know, started at another school or played a good bit at another school and, and just add some depth, even if he doesn't play, at least you, you have some depth on that old line in case an injury or two happens. So uh, I would think for Auburn, most people I talked to, they they said they were they enjoyed or they liked what they saw in the offensive line in the spring. So um, I think there's just that depth there. I got you. I got you. Well, I'm curious about this because they moved the transfer portal period up to April 15th uh, to April 30th in the fall, and it feels like it's created a really chaotic, weird environment. And I think you do have a little bit of some coaches kind of uh, choosing their words very carefully to try to uh, not lose guys to the portal with with some teams having their spring game as late as April 29th. How do you feel about them moving the transfer portal up? Well, I mean, the main reason they did it was they had to accommodate those, all those people. Like, like we just had, the SEC just had seven spring games this past Saturday, eight if you include Florida, who played last Thursday, they like those schools that they had to sit around for another two weeks before they they could even start, you know, talking with kids with the portal. Like I think that I think you're behind the eight ball there. So yeah. from what I was told, they moved it up to accommodate. So basically, all those all those schools that just went through our spring game on Saturday can immediately go into interviews with those guys. And we heard, you know, TJ Finley told me that as much. That's what they did at Auburn. They had mm-hmm. basically post-spring interviews with every kid, sat down with them, talked about where they are on the roster and all that kind of stuff. So I think that was the thinking and moving it up because I just couldn't imagine sitting around for two weeks. Yeah, you think those other schools are going to just sit around and not start contacting kids in some way, shape, or form. So I think it was more damage control to say, let's get ahead of this and let's allow teams to, to start talking. But you're right. I mean, LSU and Alabama, they play their spring game this Saturday. Uh, you're already a week, you know, week into the portal being open again. They're going to be a little bit behind it, but I, I think they have a pretty good idea yeah. for the most part. A lot of these teams have a good idea of what their roster looks like. Auburn baseball has a critical must-win series uh, against Mississippi State this weekend. Two teams kind of in the bottom half of the SEC, uh, flirting with those bottom two spots that don't get invited to Hoover. Uh, just how big is this series for Auburn, and what do they have to do to to win this series against State? Yeah, I saw a couple of their games. Did they win the series with uh, Alabama? No, they won game one, and no, then the no. offense did disappeared in the next two games, and they dropped the next two. Okay, that stinks. Yeah, I saw them win the. I saw them with the win, and I saw the loss. I, I couldn't remember if they if they won game three. Um, yeah, they, this is a big one, and Mississippi State um, they stink. Uh, Ole Miss stinks. It's so weird. The two, the two back to back, you know, national national champs in, in Ole Miss and Mississippi State are just. I don't know what happened, but they, they both have fallen apart here <laughs> the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Mississippi State, I, I don't know. Like the the head coach, I, I think like he caught lightning in a bottle, and they won the World Series two years ago. And then ever since then, it's just been this downward spiral. And it sucks because you got such a passionate fan base there at State. You got such a rocking, um, uh, great stadium, and all this stuff, but. It's just not been good, and so you're right. This is an opportunity Auburn needs. They they need this one. I, if, if Auburn loses this series, man, they really dig a hole for themselves in the SEC. And as we know, everybody in the West, it's been 
it's been a tough go outside of LSU and Arkansas. So, um, yeah, this is one Auburn absolutely has to have. Yeah, 100%. This weekend, Chris, it's uh, Braves-Astros. How you feel about that series? Uh, it's going to be a tough one. Astros, luckily, they just took two out of three against Toronto, mm-hmm. who expects to be a, a postseason team. But, yeah, they, they now go up against the Atlanta Braves and the Tampa Bay Rays in the next Ooh. two series. As we know, both of them are red right So, yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, Dana Brown, who's the new Astros GM who came from the Braves, uh, you know, we talked to him yesterday. He flew out to Atlanta early to go kind of – rekindle and talk with some of the friends that he has there in Atlanta, but this is going to be a tough one, man. It's going to be a hot ticket. I had a friend saying he's trying to get tickets, and they were kind of tough to come by, so this is going to be a big, big series for, you know, early in the season with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what I think is going to be a World Series preview. I, I picked the Braves Astros to play in the World Series again this year, so could be an early preview this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Chris, we appreciate it, as always. Where can everybody keep track of you and everything you got going on? Yeah, just search Locked on SEC uh, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. Uh, we got that interview with TJ Finley. If anybody in the Auburn community missed it, I'd encourage you to go check it out. Again, a kid who, if he moves on, he's still in the interview, talks about how much he loves Auburn and, and has loved his time there. So we'll see what happens, but encourage you to check that out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we, we appreciate it, Chris, and we will talk to you next week, all right? All right, thanks, guys. That was Chris Gordy of Locked on SEC. Talking a little bit uh TJ Finley, Auburn football, and the transfer portal. We need to hit our final break of today's show. When we come back, we will wrap everything up and get you set for the uh, drive. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You're on the line. Final segment here, Carter Bird in the Auburn Network studio. Solo in the past, the last hour and a half of the show. Jacob Goins is calling Lee Scott Academy Baseball on AU100, 100.3 FM, AU100FM.com, and the AU100 app if you want to check that out. Today's been a great show. We had Lindsey Crosby in for the first hour. We had Jacob on for the first 30 minutes. Uh, And then we had Chris Gordy in the last segment talking uh, the transfer portal T.J. Finley, uh, Auburn's quarterback situation, and a little bit of just how critical this series is for Auburn baseball taking on um, taking on Mississippi State uh, as they really they have to win the series to feel any semblance semblance of um, hope of the postseason in my in my mind. Uh, Lindsey made a great point that um, I don't I can't recall if it was on the air or not, but. Every game they lose of the Ole Miss, Missouri, and uh, Mississippi State series is an extra game they have to take from at number six South Carolina or at home against number one LSU. Very difficult task for this Auburn team that's been banged up all year. The pitching struggled, uh, but a big critical series nonetheless this weekend. Uh, Very big one there. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's... It's going to be a lot of fun to keep track of that and everything that's going on in the transfer portal. I expect things to start to heat up. I am curious to see if uh, Bruce Pearl and company um, start to continue to make moves, filling out their roster for the 2023-2024 season. And uh, I do wonder if we start to hear some news about Hugh Freeze and company reaching out to potential quarterback transfers I do think that uh, we may see some more people 
from Auburn's end hit the transfer portal and look for playing time elsewhere sometime soon. I think this week has been there's been a lot of meetings uh, to kind of let guys know where they stand, what the vision is going forward, and I think that uh, it's going to be there's going to be a decent amount of movement in some capacity on Auburn's roster, I believe. Uh, maybe some guys that are nudged out the door with a, hey, you may want to look for playing time elsewhere, or you're not in the plans here at Auburn right now. Uh, Auburn's going to continue to try to add on the offensive line, probably some, a receiver or two, uh, definitely at least one quarterback, and uh, they're going to have to add some people on the on the defensive line for sure, whether it be um, – a defensive end, a true defensive end who can kind of slide inside maybe, has a little hybrid role with D-tackle. And they also got to go add an edge, somebody to rush the passer. It's going to be a lot of fun to see how Hugh Freeze and company fills out this roster for the 2023 season. That's going to do it for today's episode of On the Line. Tomorrow, Jacob will be back for the entire show. We will be back at full strength. Coming up next, The Drive. The Drive.